If uh, you have your Bible, you want to open first to, uh, let's see, I would, let's go in reverse. Open to John 21, mark that one, then mark Luke 22, and then finally open to Mark 8. And who knows, we may throw some more in there as we go. John 21, Luke 22, and Mark chapter 8 be our text for the morning. Well, today is the series finale of our Bad Resumes sermon series. And uh, what I've loved about this series is it's been able to, being able to, to go through Scripture and to look at the different people who have struggled, who have a past, and uh, who have blown it a lot of times, and yet God still has been able to use them. And it's been a great reminder to me and hopefully to you that no matter where you come from or what you're dealing with, God's not done with you. And He can do more, He can do more with you. And so today we're going to we're going to wrap this, uh, we're going to wrap this series up. Well, let me just ask, just right off the bat, have you ever been betrayed? Just a show of hands. If you've ever, if you've ever had somebody betray you, just raise your hand. How does that feel? That's one of the worst things ever, isn't it? To have someone that, uh, that you trust, that you love, and for whatever reason, maybe it's something you did, maybe it's something you said, or maybe it's no reason at all that, that you can identify, whatever it was, they, they turned on you. It is a lonely feeling. It is a, a, a helpless feeling in a lot of ways, and uh, it's a, a very, very painful feeling process. Now, the darker side of that coin is the question of not have we ever been betrayed, but how many of us have ever betrayed someone? And see, that's where it gets more personal, doesn't it? Because now it's not just, well, we were the victim of betrayal, it's we were the ones who betrayed someone, somebody, some some friend, some family member, for whatever reason, known or unknown, we chose to turn, we chose to no longer love them, we chose to no longer trust them, and we began to go on the offensive. And I'm not going to ask you to join me in this, but I'll go ahead and tell you that I have done this in my own life. I have been a, a, a betrayer probably more times than I have been betrayed just being completely honest with you. And the, the thing is, I think we've all found ourselves, we've all found ourselves that way. I've, I've shared with you on at least a couple of occasions very strong, vivid memories of, of betrayal that I have in my own life of when I was a high school student and I, I, I felt as if uh, in fact, one of our teens, I think it was Celia, expressed this sentiment the other day of going to school and wanting to blend into a certain crowd and to fit into a certain crowd required certain politics. You know what I'm talking about? It required a, a certain ethical code of, of behavior and the crowd that I wanted to be a part of did not really want 
and ethical code of behavior that rallied around Jesus Christ. And I remember in 10th grade, sitting at lunch, and I've shared this with you, so you'll know what I'm talking about, but I was sitting in our stadium at lunchtime, and a friend of mine speaks to the entire group, and he says, what kind of name is God anyway? And I fired up with, well, let me tell you what the Hebrews think about God. No, I didn't do that. You know what I did? Listen. I sat. I didn't utter a single word. But inside, inside, my heart and my mind were screaming at me to say something. But I was unmoved. A few years later, on a Wednesday night, getting ready to go to church, getting ready to walk out the door. You've heard this story before too. My friend calls, wants to go and uh, do something, and uh, I say, I can't. I'm going somewhere. And he says, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm just, I'm just going somewhere. And my mom was standing in, in uh, not just earshot, she was standing about eight or nine feet away from me, watching, listening to see if I was going to tell him where I was going, because she knew what was, was happening. And all I said is, I'm going somewhere. And I looked at her and I knew that she knew. She saw into my heart. She could see the betrayal. And I said, I'm going to church. And I hung up the phone and we left. And then there was a, a 40-minute car to church because you know, living in metro Atlanta, it, it took that long to get there. And in, for 40 minutes she didn't berate me but basically she said something to the effect of you know if you're ashamed to be going or to tell people that you're going maybe we just should stay home again my insides were screaming and, 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 and churning there's probably been times like that that you can relate to where you've had a chance to say something for Jesus and didn't. Or maybe not say something for Jesus or about Jesus specifically, but maybe there was a chance to do something for Jesus, like someone who was being exploited. And instead of stepping in, you held back. Or maybe even participated. And I've been there too. But the good news is, we are not, we're not the only people in Scripture to betray and deny Jesus. And that leads us to our last person we're going to talk about in this series, Peter. I love the Apostle Peter. Because I relate to him more than any other person that I read about in, in Scripture. And I relate to him for a, a lot of reasons. And a lot of the reasons that I relate to him are his pre-Pentecost reasons. Before the Holy Spirit came on him. What do we know about him? We know he was a, a fisherman from Galilee. Fisherman was a tough trade. It's up early. It's out late. It's back breaking work, it's, it's thick, heavy 
nets where you're casting them into the sea and you're drawing them in. Your muscles would be tired. You'd be aching. You know, your livelihood depended on your catch each and every single day. It was a rough, rough business to be a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. And one day, Peter's brother, who is also a fisherman, comes to him and says, Hey, I think we found him. He's talking about Jesus. Come and, come and see. And it's Peter's brother, Andrew, who leads him to the Messiah. Peter becomes one of the twelve apostles. He's in the, he's in, the in group with, with Jesus Christ. The twelve guys that would, would change the world. Peter is a part of them. And not only that, he's in the inner circle of that group. And of the inner circle, he's the right-hand man of Jesus. Oftentimes we'll read that Jesus took who? Peter, James, and John. Oftentimes, who is it that speaks up or speaks on behalf of the apostles? It's, it's Peter. He was sort of the mouthpiece. And that was good and it was bad. A lot of times, Peter... He got his mouth ahead of his brain and he would just say things without really thinking or he would say things without a, a complete and full understanding of the kingdom of God and what Jesus was about. And it would get him in trouble. He suffered greatly from foot and mouth disease. You know, his mouth was constantly catching his feet because he was saying things that he, that he shouldn't say. And in in, in Mark chapter 8, we see a really great thing that Peter says, and we see a really dumb thing that Peter says and does. The chapter uh, opens and uh, it flows on down through there, and they come across this man who is blind, and Jesus heals him. And if you'll remember, it takes Jesus two times to, to heal him, and we won't, we won't unpack that this morning. We've done that before, so we won't take the time to unpack that today. But he heals him, and then Jesus turns to his apostles, to his disciples, in verse 27. And it says that he asked them, who do you say, or who do people say that I am? Verse 28, they answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the, one of the prophets. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Okay, the others, they, they think I'm John the Baptist. They think I'm a, a prophet, a, you know, Elijah. Okay, that's great, and that's good, and that's fine. But what about you guys? The guys that I, I spend all my time with. You guys that I'm, I'm training, that I'm modeling a way of life and behavior to. The ones that I'm teaching most intimately about the, the kingdom and about what it means to live in that kingdom. Who do... Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. And he says, you are the Messiah. And the way Matthew records it, it says, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. You see, Peter knows because he has been with Jesus. He's heard Jesus teach 
Not only that, he has seen Jesus perform wonders. He was there. He was there when Jesus healed the guy. When he took spit and he put it in his eyes and enabled him to see Jesus was there. Or Peter was there when he put his hands on the lepers and healed them. Peter was there when he walked up to a dead body and put his hand on the on the what we would call a casket, which would should make him unclean, but it's Jesus, so it doesn't. And he calls him back into life. It was Peter who was probably there in the room when Jesus went and called his mother-in-law back into life. Peter knows who Jesus is. And so when he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, it's not just something he's heard, it's something he's experienced. It's something that he deeply believes and that he is a part of. And it's, it's right here that we have to stop. We have to celebrate a moment with Peter. Because from here on, he doesn't get anything right. And so we stop and we say, high five Peter, you got that one, you're right. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And then right after this great moment that we celebrate with Peter comes the sharpest rebuke in Scripture that Jesus gives out to anybody. Verse 31. Then he, talking about Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and rise after three days. Now this is the first time that Jesus is openly talking about this. It's the first time that he's talking to them about the fact that here's what I came to do. I'm the Messiah. I'm coming to die. I'm going to be rejected. People are going to hate me. They're going to kill me. But don't worry about it because I'm coming back. Verse 32 says, He was openly talking about this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Yeah, just let that sink in for just a minute. Peter is rebuking Jesus. Can you imagine the audacity? Uh, Lord, you know, we're so glad you're here. But can I have a word? You know, it's like Peter is pulling him aside and he said, wait a minute, Jesus. That's not our story. Messiah doesn't get himself killed. He comes in. He sets up his kingdom. He kicks out the Romans. He becomes king. And hey, you can set us up as like little sub-kings if you want to. That'll be great. That's our story, Jesus. If you're going to be the Messiah, you've got to get the story straight. And he begins to rebuke Jesus Christ. Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus is so patient. You know, because I'm thinking right there, if, if I'm Jesus, what could I do to really make this real for Him? But I'm not Jesus, and that's why I'm not Jesus. Jesus responds. He turns and He looks at the rest of the group. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. What he is saying is, look, as long as you're thinking like that, you don't understand. As long as you think like that, you're thinking on the terms and the side of, of Satan. I'm here for a completely different purpose. Purpose. 
Well, then it rolls on through and you have the transfiguration. You have a lot of other things. And then as you flip on over to, to Luke 22, there's been a lot of water under the bridge. And by the time you get to Luke 22, it's uh, Thursday night before Jesus is crucified on Friday. And they're in the upper room. They are celebrating Passover. Jesus has just done what we did a few minutes ago where He uh, broke the bread and He said, remember this, where He gave Him the cup and said, this is my blood, represents the covenant, remember this. And in verse 31, he looks at Peter and he calls him Simon. He says, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that you may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that, that Satan was going to try to crush Peter. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I, I know this is going to happen to you. But come back. And when you come back, you strengthen your brothers. You help them understand what it means to betray somebody because you will have been there. You will know what it's like. You will be able to show them a different way, a way of, of grace that you may not understand right now. Peter speaks up in verse 33. And you know, and I love the courage of Peter. I love his heart. And he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And that's a bold, bold statement. But Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until, what, until you deny three times that you, you know me. Drop down to 54. They've been in the garden. The guards show up. Judas gives the signal, the kiss. They know who Jesus is. It's dark, so they go and get him. And then, uh, then uh, a, a, there's a flash of a sword. And one of, the, one of the, the slaves loses an ear. His name is Malchus. And according to John's Gospel, we know that that was Peter that did that. Now, I've always said that Peter, you know, he's either, he's either got the, the, the delicacy of a, a surgeon with that sword, and he's just, I'll take you one piece at a time if I have to. But that's not really likely to be what it is. Peter's a fisherman. Okay, he's rough. He has no idea how to use the sword. He's just hacking and chopping, and the best he can do is cut a guy's ear off. Think about it. It's okay to laugh. It's in there. I'm going to rebuke you, Jesus, and I'm going to hack a dude's ear off. Those are some things on, 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 on his resume. And it's okay to laugh at it. I mean, it's there. Think about this. We got the book of Mark primarily from Peter. Peter's telling his own story to Mark. Telling his blunders. Well, they lead Jesus away. 
you get down to verse 54 and it says, They seized him and they led him away. And they brought him to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. You've got to give Peter credit because he's still following. He's staying close to Jesus. He's watching. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat among them. When the servant saw him sitting in the firelight, looked closely at him. She said, this man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. There's one. A little while later, someone else saw him. You're one of them too. Man, I am not. There's two, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting. This man was certainly with him. He's also a Galilean. Verse 60. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And some other, uh, the other gospel accounts, others say, I don't know what you're talking about. And he cursed. Three, and it says, Immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. And you see how sin left unchecked, it grows like a cancer. And you see the, the progression in, in these, just these three denials of Peter. Like it starts, and then it gets worse, and then it has this explosion. It's eating him alive. Verse 61 says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. You think Jesus had to say anything at that moment? Have you ever been in the midst or caught in the act of betrayal by the person you're betraying? Or when they find out you have betrayed them and they look you in the eyes? What does that feel like? Peter's just denied that he knows Jesus three times after he swore he'd go to prison and death. He denies three times the rooster crows and Jesus turns and he makes eye contact. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. His betrayal was, was complete. His denial was complete. And the thing is, is Jesus told him it was going to happen. And so we pull up Peter's resume. We go to his executive Profile, Peter, let's learn a little bit about yourself. He's a fisherman turned apostle. Special experience, he was the right-hand man of Jesus. That's a pretty good place to be, right? Reasons for leaving the last job. Impatient, impulsive. Chopped Malchus's ear off. That's just a funny one. But here's the one that's not funny. Denied Jesus three times. Maybe more than anything else we do, that can bring down a sense of rejection upon us. Three times denied, denied Jesus. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. 
it's maybe it's easier to it, it, maybe it's easier to answer Jesus or to to make it more uh, applicable. It's easier to do it's easier to do good things and to do right things around good and right people. Yes or no? It's easier to be holy at church. It's easier to be righteous around people that, that have faith in Jesus. I mean, that's, that's easy. And that's the people that really we want to surround ourselves with. But the problem is, is there's a whole world out there that is dying and going to hell. And if Jesus said, well, you're, you're salt and you're light and you have to be this influence, you've got to go into all the world. The problem is we can't stay in here. We can't surround ourselves with people like this all the time. We have to go out there where there is darkness, where there is disease, where there is death, where there are people who do not love Jesus. Where there are people who say, I don't care about your God. I don't care about your Bible. I don't want to hear anything about that. And if you want to work here, or if you want to belong to this crowd, you won't say anything about that. If you don't want to have a formal reprimand put on your work record that follows you around, if you don't want to risk losing your job, if you don't want to risk losing your peer group, you won't say a thing you will deny Jesus. And a lot of times, if we're honest, we've chosen that route. I know that I have. Not just when I was in high school, but I know that I have done that as an adult. I have not said things when I should have said things. I've not defended Jesus in the way that I should have defended Jesus. This resume should not be Peter's resume. This is my resume. That rejected is not stamped on Peter. That rejected is stamped on me. And my fate should be that all that I can really do when I recognize my betrayal is go out and weep bitterly. What a terrible end to this story that would be. Jesus is killed, bears the sins of all mankind, experiences the wrath of God on uh, on Sunday. He rises. When word gets back to the apostles, who's one of the first people that jumps up and runs to the tomb? Peter. Why? Because he had to see if it was real. He had to be back in the presence of Jesus. See, that's one of the things about about betrayal, about denial, about those things, is it isolates you. 
It separates you. You feel completely alone in the midst of it. Exactly. I mean, I, I, can't, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine what Friday and Saturday was like for Peter. One of the questions I want to ask him about when I get the chance is tell me about Friday and Saturday. Peter sees him. John sees him. He said they saw and they believed. In the book of John, it, it ends kind of different from the rest of the gospel. And in John 21, Jesus has appeared to the apostles, to the disciples. And in verse 15, they're, they're having breakfast one morning. They've just caught so many fish that they needed help to get them in. Jesus says, bring some of the fish. And then verse 15 says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? He's talking about the other apostles, the other disciples that are there. Do you, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. The second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him in the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus is restoring He's saying, even though you have done this thing, it's not over. You know, a lot of times we find ourselves in that, that place where we are, are caught in our denial and our betrayal. And so many times we end up staying there, staying isolated, staying separated, staying loaded down and guilt-laden, which is exactly where Satan wants us to stay. Constantly reminding us, look what you did. Look what you said. Look what you caused. Look what you destroyed. But Jesus brought Peter back.
And that's the good news about this. And the good news for you and the good news for me and for Peter is this, is that with Jesus there is always a way back. There is always a way back with Jesus no matter what we have done. Praise God for that. There's always, there's always a way back. So Jesus restores Peter. You're going into the book of Acts, and it's, it's a completely different person. The Holy Spirit has come on him. He's completely changed. You see this spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-loving apostle who stands up and he preaches this powerful message. 3,000 people are saved in that day. The church comes into existence. You go through the whole first half of the book of Acts and you read about the things that, that Peter did. John MacArthur says, and this is, talk, this is just from Pentecost on, says he preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. He and John healed a lame man. He was so powerful that people were healed just by being in his shadow as he passed by. He raised Dorcas from the dead. He introduced the gospel to the Gentiles. He wrote two epistles. What a man Peter was. Now then, that doesn't mean he was perfect from there on out because there was an issue that he had. Paul confronted him. But you know what? Peter took that graciously and he responded the way that he should. But you see a completely different person. Have you ever been restored by someone you betrayed? What does that mean to you? Everything. For them to say, I forgive you. And they bring you back into a, a relationship. And that's what, that's what happened. That's what happened with Peter. Through the, the magic of social media, and I, you know, I, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. I, I really like the good things that you can do with it, but I hate the constant pressure of having to feel enslaved to it. But one very positive thing that's come from that in, in my life has to do with some of those stories of betrayal that I told you in the beginning that happened more than, than 20 years ago. Because if you've read my post, you know that most of the things I put on there are either about the church or they're about my family or they're just things that I find amusing or funny. I try not to put anything negative on there. I don't put anything political on there. I don't put anything that's going to incite a riot or anything like that on there. I try to use it to be just completely positive all the time in the best way that I feel that I can. And as I've talked about the church and as I've talked about my faith and as I've shared scriptures and whatnot, it's, it's really been uh, amazing in the last five years, especially the number of, of classmates that I went to high school with that have reached out to me and asked for, for spiritual help. 
and for counsel. And it's, in a way, it's, it's been a form of, of penance in my life. As 20 plus years later, I get to say, let me tell you what I should have told you back then. You see, I can relate to Peter. I can relate to what it feels like to walk away and not say something. And it's because of that grace that I have been given that I now talk about Jesus and why I do what I do. People that I never would have said things to about Jesus. I've had the opportunity to talk about. I performed a dear friend's funeral two years ago that took his own life. And the doors that that opened up has been incredible. And it's, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus and his restorative, patient power. And that's what he offers to us as, as, as well. As that restoration of Peter is taking place, Jesus tells Peter something that would have been incredibly difficult to hear. In verse 18, he says, I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and you'd walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now that's not talking about him aging and not being able to do things for himself. He's telling Peter about the death that he's going to die. And after saying this, he told Peter, follow me. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus was crucified. John MacArthur in his book, Twelve Ordinary Men, says this. How did Peter's life end? We know that Jesus told Peter that he would die as a martyr, but Scripture doesn't record the death of Peter. All the records of early church history indicate that Peter was crucified Eusebius cites the testimony of Clement who says that before Peter was crucified he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. As he watched her being led to death Clement says that Peter called to her by name saying remember the Lord. When it was Peter's turn to die, he pleaded to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die as his Lord had died. That's a life restored by Jesus Christ.
Jesus told him how he was going to die and said, follow me. That's exactly the way Peter followed him. He followed him also to a cross. But not feeling worthy to die as his Lord had, he asked to be crucified upside down, which probably made it all the more excruciating. With Jesus, there is always a way back. Your bad resume cannot hold up to the power of Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody throw it in your face and tell you you are not worthy. Don't let them tell you you cannot serve in the kingdom of God. Don't let them tell you that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. Because Jesus himself said, I came not to call the righteous. I came to call the sick. Better translation or a more current translation for what we're talking about. I came to call those with bad resumes. Jesus is the way. If we can help you, we can pray for you, we can baptize you into Jesus this day, won't you come while we stand and while we stand? We